0: My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you again that we're looking for a design director here at Glitch. You know, we're growing every day, and we're really looking for a design director to not only help us build a team of talented designers, but also to help deliver a unified experience to our audience of consumers, curators, and creatives. So if that sounds like you, if this sounds like something that's right up your alley... Then check out the show notes for a link to the job listing or head over to glitch.com forward slash careers and apply today. Now for this week's interview, we're kicking off August with Jeremy Dudu, a UX designer at Salesforce. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: My name is Jeremy Dudu and I'm a UX designer at Salesforce.org. I work for an app. We're we're building an app right now. It's called Philanthropy Cloud. It's going to be an application for large companies where they can donate and volunteer. They can have their their employees donate and volunteer to the causes that they love and just look for the nonprofits that they're interested in giving back to.
0: Nice. What first attracted you to working for Salesforce?
1: The thing that attracted me, so they reached out to me, must have been like 10 months ago, and... They, uh, I, I had a recruiter ask me if I was interested in working with like a company of Salesforce and they're trying to build this application where you can give back to your community. And at the time, well, I'd say for the majority of the past 10 years, I've worked in philanthropy, you know, giving back to my community in South LA and teaching kids in my community. So I was like, well, this kind of like, matches my whole life purpose,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, giving back to your community, helping people overcome the odds. Like this whole thing is about my my life vision. So I think that's what attracted me the most was that it not only matched the kind of job that I want within design, but it, latched, it matched my overall purpose in life.
0: And I don't know if people really kind of know this about Salesforce, but like Philanthropy has been a big part of their whole business since like the very beginning, which kind of seems like a rarity among Silicon Valley companies. Like it seems like a lot of Mm -hmm. companies out there are more focused towards, of course, growth, but not really about giving back to the community.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Um, I think Mark Benioff, Mm -hmm. he's the CEO. He's such a personality. Like, I don't know him personally, but I've heard that he's such a cool guy. And he he just goes against the grain of what Silicon Valley CEOs should be, and I think his personality kind of goes along into the company a lot. So I feel like we're just a, a branch of who he is as a person.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that model of kind of setting up with uh, with philanthropy crowd. I'm sorry, philanthropy cloud that you uh-huh. mentioned. I like that kind of model of like not only just giving back, but it sort of turns employees in a way into philanthropists because it it sets it up where employees can kind of give back to the causes they want to
2: Mm -hmm.
0: here at, at glitch. I know we do a similar thing every year, like right around the holidays, we'll ask, we'll ask employees, like where should we donate, you know, X amount of money to. And so people give a lot of suggestions. And I think the last time we donated or the last causes we donated to were black girls code. And I think Hispanicos Unidos, I think it was mm-hmm. that, like right around the time of, of, uh, of Hurricane Maria, I believe,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but like, and that was, this is honestly, this is my first time working for a tech company in a long time. And so for that to even be something that they were interested in I, that, you know, kind of like took me, took me aback because I'm like, I, I associate massive amounts of greed with tech companies, not giving back to the community in any sort of way.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I I agree. That was what kind of drew me to Salesforce, because like when I was growing, well, this was like, I'd say like six years ago. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know where I was going in my life. So, you know, I started doing things that I was really passionate about. So before I even got into design, I I went to this school called General Assembly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've heard of it.
0: Oh, yeah, I've heard of General Assembly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's basically like this tech boot camp. You can take a UX class, you can take a web dev class. And I was, you know, just interested in learning how to code at the time. Mm -hmm. I went there and I was also mentoring for a a nonprofit in South LA. It was called Brotherhood Crusade. Okay. And I I was doing all these different things. I also was a teacher for the USC Neighborhood Academic Initiative, which is a, a nonprofit where I got my scholarship to USC. And just, you know, working with them, it helped me realize my bigger overall vision. So when I got reached out to from Salesforce and they told me about their vision, I'm, I'm like, man, like, this is like the dream.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, I, I could probably at some point, like, help help a kid from the hood try to get a, a, a scholarship like I did, you know, like, the possibilities are limitless. Yeah. And to do that with technology, like, is, is the ultimate dream. Nice.
0: So going back like to your work at Salesforce, what's mm-hmm. been the biggest challenge so far in the role?
1: The biggest challenge has been that we're te- it's only five of us now. We just hired a new guy. But it's been trying to figure out where we're trying to go long-term. And, and it's kind of like been like uh, working with a startup mm-hmm. where you got to wear different hats. So I'm doing UX design. I'm doing UI design. I'm doing prototyping, testing, trying to figure out things from the PM trying to align like 20 people on the same vision. So I feel like it's been wearing many hats and not really knowing where we're trying to go long-term. We're just trying to figure it out as we go.
0: Yeah. I know that feeling all too well. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, and It's something that, you know, it's interesting because Salesforce is a, is a large company that has processes, mm-hmm. but sometimes with different departments and things like that, it can be difficult starting up because you don't really have a kind of benchmark or a role model or a process as to what works mm-hmm. so you're kind of building i i say you make the road by walking essentially like yeah. you have to forge that path because it hasn't been done in the company before and it is kind of like a startup mm-hmm. in that respect uh, there can be a lot of growing pains i think that come with that process
1: yeah exactly But I feel like, you know, personally, that that's something that I like. I like going into the unknown and making something happen. And and that's been it's been like the funnest part Mm -hmm. so far, because when you get to the destination, you're you're just like, oh, look at what I built. This is amazing. But I think it's the journey that makes it fun. The 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 parts where you're you're really like blossoming the identity of who the company can become.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, aside from Philanthropy Cloud, I mean, as much as you can talk about it, I would imagine, what are some of the other projects that you're working on?
1: Right now, I'm building the iOS app for Philanthropy Cloud, okay. which has been, um, it's been really fun. I'm working with some developers in Paraguay and Uruguay and like they're they're all over the place. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun just, you know, learning about their culture and and, and we got a team in Colorado as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we all pretty much work remotely. So that's like my main thing right now is building the Philanthropy Cloud iOS app. I've helped with the web application. But yes, yeah, as, as far as Salesforce goes, those are, those are the things that I work on.
0: Is it difficult working with a distributed team like that? Because you're not only just across like time zones, you're across different countries.
1: It can be, but I feel like we've made it work for the most part, like when it's 9 a.m. here, I think it's like 2 p.m. in Paraguay. So sometimes they might be at lunch mm-hmm. and and we're all like, you know, they're they're telling us, hey, we, we got to go get lunch right now. So we're hungry. But for the most part, no, nah, we've made it work.
0: So how do you approach a new project? Um, I mean, of course, you say you're working on Philanthropy Cloud now, but say there's something yeah. new that comes up at Salesforce that you might have to work on or you're working on with a, with, a, with your team. Mm-hmm. How do you approach that?
1: I try to learn about the people that I'm going to work with as much as possible because everybody has different working styles. Everybody learns differently. So I try to tap into who they are as people and, and how they learn best. Like Some people like to talk about the project conceptually. Some people like to visually see things on a whiteboard. So first of all, I, I just try to understand who the person is that I'm working with as much as I can. hmm and then, you know, we talk back and forth, learning about their goals for the project. Then we get into the the specifics of what the goal is for the project and all that. But I, f- I feel like I take kind of a more human approach yeah. to design rather than us going in and, and just, you know, getting down a business. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like design, for the most part, from what I've learned over the years, is about understanding who you're designing for, but also understanding who you're working with.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way, especially when it comes to working with and building building teams. Like I Mm -hmm. try to make sure that my team complements each other. Like, of course, everyone on the team are very strong, talented individual contributors. Mm -hmm. But like as a team together, I make sure like, oh, well, this person's weakness isn't necessarily a weakness. It could be a strength for someone else. So it sort of complements uh, with things like that. So I, I like that kind of people first approach when it comes to, uh, working with projects. Like understand who you're working with first. Cause oftentimes that will give you a signal as to how they're going to work on the project. Like if you get a sense that, mm-hmm. you know, a person might be cranky in the afternoon or like, you know, like just little, little things like that, but it affects the work. Mm-hmm. So getting to know the person inv- invariably means you get to learn how they work. And that helps out just with the project altogether
1: yeah exactly. Like like on my team, it's uh four of us. I feel like we're all tight at this point. You know, we all have our different personalities, but there's one guy named James. Mm-hmm. He used to work at Disney, and he's a great animator, and he he likes to think very conceptually. My manager, she's a great person to manage projects simultaneously. She's working on like five or six different things at the same time. And there's another guy named Daniel. He's a great speaker. And um, and and I'm somebody who can kind of, you know, see something before it even happens. Like, like, I'm already looking at the app, how it should work in my head before I even have it down on paper or I'm working in sketch. So I feel like all our different strengths kind of work off of mm. each other.
0: Nice, nice. So before Salesforce, you know, just doing my research, I see that you have done a lot of UX work. In the like online media industry, you did work with Fandango for a while,
1: Mm -hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, et cetera.
0: What were those experiences like?
1: Oh man. Those that was like getting my MBA in design. (laughs) It it was it was like, you know, because I never thought that I would become a designer. So working with those companies, it taught me like the ins and outs. Because, you know, coming in as a designer, like I, I thought that I had to be somebody who knew everything but working at those companies they it, it just allowed me to see that it's okay to learn as you go because everybody's doing that
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know like like my, my mentors who were, who were working there they're all like family now you know like the way they just treated me and <laughs> and all that like like not even in terms of design but just as people they have the greatest culture of people that I've ever worked with mm. still to this day. Like, you know, I feel like at Salesforce, we're really trying to understand who we are as a team still, mm-hmm. like even, even over the course of nine months. But um, I feel like Fandango, Rotten Tomatoes, just working there, I can't, I can't say it enough. They were like family. And, and that culture is just amazing.
0: Let's, let's tap into that more. What about the culture made it so good?
1: Well just first of all they have a very diverse company mm-hmm. and they have people not not all different not just all different races but the way people think there they all have different personalities you know every department was <laughs> every department had had its own identity so like we had there was a guy named Young. He was a, a user researcher and he was just a great person. I used to go play basketball with him on Wednesdays. You know, we got lunch Tuesdays and Thursdays and that was like family meals. And then we we also had summer parties that were crazy. So I feel like the combination of the people and activities that we did together made it a, a really great culture because mm-hmm. you're not only spending time with people at work, but we were spending time outside of work. Yeah. That that allowed us to get to know each other as, you know, as a team, as human beings. Mm -hmm. So that was always great.
0: Yeah, that's something that, you know, I've mostly worked with remote teams. I mean, before I started at Glitch, I had my own studio for nine years and my team was all remote there. And Mm. granted, my team now at Glitch is not that far from me. I mean, they're in New York. I'm here in Atlanta. So there are opportunities when I get to go up there. But usually when I'm up there, it's all work. All meetings. Mm-hmm. And so I regret like not having enough of those like down times with the team where we can just get to know each other as people because the team there, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of telling on myself here. The team there knows each other well because they work together in the same place.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I feel like I know them well because we talk, you know, all the time on Slack, et cetera. But it's a different, it's a different dimension when you're there, like in person and especially mm-hmm. when you're in person and not focused on the work. Like, it's a different dimension. And so mm-hmm. I miss not really being able to have that for my team. It's something that I hope at Glitch we can start to, like, move towards. Like, for example, we do this annual on-site where everyone comes to New York and we have, like, a big, you know, we have meetings and we have get-togethers and stuff like that. And it's great. But I would love it if we would start doing ones, like, just for our teams. Yeah. Because I feel like, um, like one of our teams, for example, is spread across, like, 10 time zones. So... It's rare they get a chance to do anything, I guess, you know, like together in one place unless it's at the annual onsite. And there you're with all the other employees. So it's a different it's a different kind of vibe.
1: Mm -hmm. Like even at uh, when when I was at Fandango, there was this woman, her name was Sandra, Mm -hmm. and she was a consultant that came to work for us. But she was really into meditation. And then she started teaching us how to meditate, like our whole team. Mm -hmm. And that I feel like just having our team learn about meditation and meditate with each other and do all these breathing exercises. It not only like helped me individually in my own life, but I feel like it all brought us closer together. Just doing something that is so it's it feels like it's not only for yourself, but you're just trying to become a better human being. Yeah. And that that just made us, you know, grow tighter together as a unit.
0: What is it about UX design that appeals to you the most?
1: That you're constantly trying to become a better person day by day. <laughs> I feel like it's a it's an emotionally impactful job because you're dealing with people's expectations. You're dealing with people not really understanding where they're trying to get to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like you gotta become a better person every day to become a great ux designer you have to have empathy you kind of have to understand the way people think and you have to have a, a a great vision so all a combination of all these different facets of ux design is what i love the most
0: so i want to go back to something that you you know you kind of touched on a little bit earlier which is of course, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You're from Los Angeles. You yeah, yeah. do a lot of volunteering, of course, in the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up there?
1: Well, I actually grew up in a area. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's called Alhambra. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, it's kind of like on the east side near Pasadena. Okay. And I always lived there. And that, that was cool because I got a lot of good Asian food, to, <laughs> you know, Like, like I could tell you about about different Thai foods and Chinese foods and all that. So that was really cool. But I always went to school near South LA. And I think my mom, she always wanted me to see both sides. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where you could live if you, you know, put in the time and the work. But this is, these are the struggles that your people that look like you are going through. Being exposed to those two sides, it was really cool because I feel like growing up, I was able to speak to to people who looked like me, but also people who didn't look like me. Whereas, you know, when I went to school, I feel like the kids around me, it, it wasn't that they, they weren't interested in talking to people who didn't look like them. But, you know, I, I see on both sides that people can become a little ignorant, mm-hmm. just because they're not exposed to different cultures. So I feel like that was something that my mom instilled from me from a very early age was you know, everybody, like all of us, have things that we have in common, and that's actually something that has helped me in UX design is um, just understanding that we all have families. Our cultures have a lot of similarities. That whole thing, you know, with with life, just trying to get to know other people and other cultures is is what makes life special. Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, that's something that you can speak to personally, not just mm-hmm. from growing up in Alhambra, but just like your family as well, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Was design kind of a big part of your childhood?
1: Nah, I'd, I'd say skateboarding was a big part of my childhood. Okay. Yeah, um, I skateboarded for 12 years. Nice. And, um, you know, I, I, I used to skate. I was like a skate rat. So <laughs> <laughs> my my cousins, they lived in an area of West, It was West L.A., and we go to like Hollywood and Santa Monica and Venice Beach. Like we just skateboard. We were like 12, 13 years old, mm-hmm. but we skate with like 20 other people and just go to all these different places. And that was that, that was a great experience because it exposed me to, just to talking to different kids from different backgrounds that I probably wouldn't have never met. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that I feel like that's helped me with UX design too, because with a skateboard trick, yeah, yeah, definitely. With the skateboard trick, you're just trying and trying and trying. And I used to get frustrated because I didn't know how to kickflip for like a year, but I just stuck with it, and I actually became one of the best skaters on the block. You know, so I feel like it taught me a level of resilience that I feel like other sports, you know, it's it's cool with basketball and and, and soccer and all that. But with skateboarding, when you land a trick and people are cheering you on, there's there's this camaraderie and brotherhood mm-hmm. that goes along with it, and, and I try to, you know, work with that in my day to day. You know, since I've started design.
0: When did you, I guess, get that first spark for design? Because what what I'm hearing mm-hmm. is that certainly you're you're able to, and this is, I think, a skill that is not unique to a lot of designers, to be honest, is to be able to take non-design experiences per se and mm-hmm. be able to extrapolate those into something that you can use for design. So when did you first kind of know that like, oh, this is something that I can do like for a living and it's called design?
1: Mm, I think it's, it was working backwards to my youth and not really paying attention to the moment, but paying attention to my patterns and my history through life. So when I was in high school, I used to paint shoes for kids. You know, I, I used to paint on Vans. When uh, I don't know if you remember the pack, but they had the Vans song and everybody was wearing the Vans. Okay, but you know Vans got really popular at my school, and and kid I would paint my Vans, and kids would ask me, "Yo, where did you get those Vans from?" And I'm like, "Yo, I painted them." So they're like, "Oh, would you paint mines?" And they actually pay me to paint their Vans. Mm. So that was something that that I thought was cool. And then there was also the bus passes that we used to get. So we used to get stickers for our bus passes. And I know this is probably, it was probably illegal back then, but I would actually get the sticker and then get it copied and then sell it to kids. And they would paste it on their bus pass (laughs) and pay me like 10 bucks. So, and then I was also cutting hair for kids in my school. And I went to Manual Arts High School, so shout out Manual. <laughs> but um, my my, um, my teacher over there, Mr. Campbell, he would allow me to cut kids' hair, you know, during lunchtime in his class, and I get paid like five or ten bucks there. Mm. So I feel like looking at at my childhood and my youth and what I was good at, it sparked the curiosity for me to learn Illustrator. And, um, you know, I, I just used to look at YouTube videos all day at one point, just trying to learn how to use the pen tool and using the pen tool was similar to, you know, I'd say doing somebody's lineup, you know, trying to get a a line or a curve as perfect as possible. it, It put me in that same state of mind. So that I think, you know, looking back at doing the things that I did, it helped me see, yo, like. All, all these different creative avenues are kind of similar. Yeah. You know, I, I could be really good at this if I put my mind to it.
0: See, this is why I love this show, because I have never heard anyone compare using the pen tool in Illustrator to give somebody a lineup. Yeah. But now that I think about it, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of yeah. sense.
1: Yeah, it sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. it does. And, and, and in college, uh-huh. I was DJing parties. Okay. And... I would say that's kind of similar to doing web animations, because if you play the wrong song at the wrong time, people are going to get angry. (laughs) But it's the same thing with with web animations. If you're doing animations all over the place and it doesn't click at the right time, you know, as a user, you're going to be like, what was that? Like, it didn't make sense. So I just saw the patterns in, in how things cross over with one another.
0: So going back to college you mentioned earlier about you got the scholarship to USC mm-hmm. um and I mean I would imagine you had a good time that you were DJing and everything but what was your what was your academic time like there?
1: Oh that that was a struggle. That was, <laughs> I was a communication major. So I felt like a lot of times, you know, because I, I'd say, you know, growing up as an only child, communication and speaking in public, that's always been my biggest struggle. Mm-hmm. So I actually majored in that because I wanted to get over that anxiety. Okay. So I felt like, you know, going there, it it helped me see, you know, my potential as a person, as a human being, you know, just being in that major and being around kids that always had big visions for themselves was really cool.
0: And you had a a study abroad experience too while you were there, right?
1: Yeah, I studied in Australia. Yeah, tell me about that. Australia was, was dope. It's like Jamaica, New York, and LA all in the same place. Like that was amazing. Meeting kids from from all over the world. You know, we went to country. It was like a spring break that we had one one time. Uh huh. We went to a country called Vanuatu. Oh, which is known as land of the last cannibals. Interesting. I think, Yeah, but that that was really cool because um, you know, the people that we talked to, they didn't know who Kim Kardashian was or who Kanye West was or any of these big celebrities that we knew, but yeah. we got to learn that just their focus on family and, you know, even though they didn't have much financially, they cared about us as people and about their families. Like that was the number one priority. And they just seemed like some of the happiest people that we knew mm-hmm. that, that I've ever met in my life. So it just gave me a different perspective on everything.
0: And you say you just did a spring break there in Vanuatu?
1: Yeah, we went there for like seven or eight days. Nice. And I think I I caught some kind of, you know, little disease. One of those, uh, I don't know what you call it, but I had a a cough and a fever the whole time I was there. Okay. We we drank this thing called kava. Okay. And it really messed me up. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) It really messed me up. But overall, like the the experience was really cool. We went to the waterfalls, spent time with the people, and and that was dope.
0: So... I want to hear more kind of about your your early career. Mm-hmm. As like I said to you before we started recording, there's a sentence on your website where you're like, I may not have had formal training as a designer, but mm-hmm. even as you've mentioned just you know in this conversation, you worked as a barber, you were a DJ, you're a teacher, mm-hmm. you're a social media manager. And it's clear that you were able to kind of take these experiences, like take the good out of them and find ways to kind of push it back into your work as a designer, but what was your early career like once you graduated from USC and got out there in the working world? What was it like?
1: I was lost. I I didn't know where I wanted to go. And my uncle who worked for Hewlett Packard, he was like, you should probably take a sales job. What? And I was <laughs> like,
2: yeah. And
1: I was like, why? <laughs> and, and he's, and he was like, it'll expose you to different people. And it'll open you up to the possibilities of who you could be. Hmm. And I was like, "Okay, that doesn't make any sense, but let <laughs> me try it out." And and so, yeah, that was my first job out of college. I, I worked for an ad media company, and we so remark we did remarketing, pay per click advertising, all that. And I worked there for 3 months, and it was it was actually cool because I got to understand how people think, you know, when I was on, I I would, you know, cold call them and some people would be nervous. Some people would be totally open to listening to you. And that just exposed me to the, to the laws of human nature. Mm. So I feel like it it did. It it was the best job that I probably could have gotten right out of college.
0: Just, just not for the reason that probably your uncle might've thought.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then I also, I also had a job as a mentor working with the Brotherhood Crusade I had another gig where I worked at a PR agency in Santa Monica and I was doing all those I did 3 jobs at the same time oh and I was working for a producer from this TV and we were building this site called fast food porn <laughs> which is I know it it sounds bad but it's basically a site where you know, we'd have models taking, you know, we'd have a photographer, we'd have some models and they pour, you know, McDonald's French fries all over themselves and be with Papa John's and all that. <laughs> and it, it really, it, it went it against my values, but I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm trying to learn more about myself. So let me put myself in uncomfortable, you know, um, predicaments. <laughs> so that, that was a cool job too. So I did all of those jobs at the same time and i was just trying to tap into what my true passions were mm-hmm. and i really do feel like you know allowing myself to explore it was it was a good time but it also helped me realize what my strengths were what my weaknesses were early on
0: and what were those strengths and weaknesses
1: i feel like my strengths you know going back you know I, you, you see patterns in your life yeah so me doing those jobs allowed me to see yo i'm i'm really good at bringing people together i'm really good at Seeing things before they even happen, I might not be the strongest speaker. I might not be the the most analytical, but I know what my strengths are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so so doing all those things allowed me to really hone in on what I like from the jobs that I did.
0: Now I want to talk about your experience at Emgo. You worked there in in 2015 and 2016. Mm-hmm. Was that a big departure from some of your earlier career work?
1: Yeah, it was because at the time to- at the time I was looking for a mentor in UX design. So I had uh it was a transition for me to go from what I was doing, which was a lot of stuff, to going to General Assembly and then going from General Assembly into an industry that I really didn't know much about. So what I was doing after General Assembly was I was hitting people up on LinkedIn and asking them if I could meet up with them for coffee, and and then I'd also go to uh, a couple meetups in the city, mm-hmm. and I feel like I built myself a community from doing that in the in the design community, and I had all the support from people who I had recently met, and I'm I was like, yo, this is really cool that there's a design community in LA, <laughs> which I never knew about. And, and they're all kind of like learning about UX design because this seems like a recent industry that's becoming popular. Like it, I, I don't think, you know, when I was in college, I had never heard about UX design. So it was kind of like, we're all learning together,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which which I really enjoyed because it reminded me of my days of skateboarding. So I feel like transitioning into this field was kind of fun because I was going into unknown territory. But there was one day where I went to this job fair and I had built a prototype of a a barbershop application. And I I showed the dude, it was like an envision prototype. Mm -hmm. I showed the dude at the job fair, like, yo, look at this app that I built. I used to be a barber. And basically it's an app where you can find barbers in your neighborhood, check it out. And he played with it for like two minutes. And he's like, yo, I'm going to send you an email tomorrow for an interview. Just come through and show your work. Wow. The guy who interviewed me was Mark Casas and his friend, Peter, but I just told him straight up, like, yo, I, I, I've i learned about this stuff in front of development. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. But what I really want to focus on is UX Design. And I told him that in, a, in the interview. Mm-hmm. And I, I just made it clear that I was looking for a mentor, that this is stuff that I've, re- I've recently been learning. And he just seemed like a cool person. And they hired me.
2: <laughs> nice.
1: You know, so and I I like that he was somebody who had he he was actually a coach before he started UX design. He used to coach cross country at a high school. So I feel like just as people, we had a lot of similarities in our backgrounds Mm. and he was willing to train me from from the start of my career.
0: So he saw something in you and you were direct about it, which I think uh, I mean, I could just say this from somebody who gets hit up all the time with coffee requests Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's so much better if you're direct and not like hey i would just love to get together and like pick your brain i was like i i have too much other stuff going on not to be mean about it but it's like if you have a direct ask Mm -hmm. that helps me out a lot because then i can give you a direct
1: answer exactly yeah so so when i was on the job you know i when i had first started i thought that i had to produce and and do all this work but he allowed me to really ex- explore where i wanted to go within design so like i didn't have a lot of work for the first three or four months he was just allowing me to to go online and learn actually and um so i was learning about parallax scrolling and i learned how to code a parallax site because we might have uh, at the time we wanted to do a parallax web page so he allowed me to learn that. I built my own parallax scrolling page. Mm-hmm. He allowed me to learn about, you know, color theory and anything I wanted to, basically. And he would just give me his feedback while I was learning. So I, like that was like training for me up front that I don't think any school can give me. Yeah, <laughs> You know, it, it, just because like mentorship was something that he was passionate about. And me becoming my best self, you know, pushing myself every day, I felt like it was a a match made in heaven just to have that at that point in my life.
0: It almost sounds like it was like an apprenticeship in a way because he was helping you along with building projects, but it wasn't something where it was, I guess, tied to your success as an employee, mm-hmm. but more so tied to your success as like a practitioner of the work.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At some point, hopefully I can do the same for somebody. You know, that that's my overall dream is to, to bring a person of color into the industry and, you know, give them that same opportunity that I had up front, because I, I feel like with a lot of people in our community that like I get hit up on LinkedIn all the time and they don't see the potential in themselves where you know where you you kind of do different things in your life that allow you to see where you can go and if somebody else sees that in you and you have the the work ethic to to do it then why not give somebody the opportunity? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like if you have a different way of thinking, you have a potential to contribute to an industry that otherwise probably wouldn't have gained, you know?
0: That's true. That's very true. Now, one thing that I thought was really interesting as I was doing uh, my research is that along with working at Salesforce, Mm -hmm. you are also a math teacher. Please talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, not not anymore. I haven't done it because my wife has been pregnant. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, last year, I, I did it for over a year. And I need to update my LinkedIn. (laughs) But yeah, it used to be this program that I was involved with that actually gave me my scholarship Mm -hmm. to USC. And that's something that I'm really grateful for, you know, because I I, I didn't graduate with $100,000 or $200,000 debt. But uh, that program really helped me in my life because my mom, she died when I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And my dad, he's got schizophrenia and he lives out in, in El Paso, Texas, but... At a time in my life where I really didn't know where I was going, I was 19 years old, going to Santa Monica College, taking the bus at 5 a.m., going to work at the ESPN zone till 1 a.m. Wow. You know, that that whole hardship, it was a real struggle for me. And so when I transferred into USC, the, the program paid for my scholarship. They paid for me to, to travel to New York and intern at AMC Networks. So all those different experiences in my life for them being with me at, at times that I needed somebody the most, I just felt naturally like I, I have to give back to this program, like whatever they need from me and whatever these kids need from me. I'm, I, I just want to give it back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they offered me a, a teaching position where I, I felt like I didn't just want to teach because a lot of these kids go through problems at home that they probably don't feel comfortable talking a lot about to other people. Mm-hmm. So just being there as a mentor and guide for them in life was my overall exec- objective. Like, yeah, math was cool. And it's a part of the program, but just being a, a life teacher and a, and a guidance counselor yeah. as well was uh, one of the reasons they brought me in.
0: And I mean, I think, you know, especially for kids at that age, like it's just important for them to just see you being there. Yeah. You know? Like that is not even in as much about, What you teach them, but just the fact that you're a presence that they know is going to be there on a consistent basis Mm -hmm. is super important.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, that, that, like, I didn't have a lot of male role models in my life growing up. And, you know, growing up in South LA, I also saw that a lot of my peers didn't have male role models. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yo, like if, if I can become that to people in my community, why wouldn't I, I try to do that? You know, I, I saw the the effects of not having a male, mo- male role model, but hopefully they can gain some of the benefits Yeah, because I feel like, you know, growing up, a lot of my friends and even including myself, we wanted to be ballers. We thought that, that we were going to make it to the league. <laughs> and when that didn't pan out, it's like what are you gonna do? yeah you you don't see that there's other avenues that you can take in life, so I, I try to expose my kids to to art and um, different creative outlets to kind of you know hopefully spark that thing with the, within themselves that uh, helps them see where they can go in their life after education. Mm-hmm. Who
0: are some of the people that have influenced you?
1: Man, um, people who influence me. I say one person. I I think it's Michelangelo. Like I I was learning about Michelangelo at one point before I started design. design, And I learned that he was a sculptor. He was a painter. He painted the 16th chapel. He was a scientist and and he used to draw. So just learning about his life and seeing that there was no, no limitation to what he could do. I'm like, yo, I I don't know about design, but if he could do the Sistine Chapel, then maybe there's something great that I can do too. So I feel like it allowed me to see as a human being that you can only put limitations where you see them. You know, if you can see the possibilities of the beauty that you can create in the world, then go after it, you know? Like I don't know the specifics of what drove him to do that, but I feel like just seeing that, you know, there that you can just Tap into whatever you really put your mind to. That's something that a lot of people don't have. Like I felt like early on in my career, some people who gave me guidance, they're like, "Yo, you should just focus on one thing and get really good at that one thing." But I feel like exposing myself to a bunch of different things allowed me to see that there there are all these different paths that I can take within design, and I'm kind of good at a few. So why should I focus on one thing? Mm-hmm. You know. So I feel like Michelangelo. He gave me the motivation that that I could just be totally who I wanted to be. Mm. Do you
0: have a dream project or anything that you'd really love to do?
1: A dream project? Yeah. Hey, I'd like to work on something in music, but I feel like right now is my dream project. This is my current dr- dream project. Like, you know, if I could help South LA or our Inner City Community raise money, you know, for kids to go to college, that's my dream. That's my overall dream. So I feel like right, right now the stuff that I'm working on with Philanthropy Cloud is is the main thing. But if there was another thing that I wanted to work on, it'd probably be something in music. I'm not sure. Just just something that helps creative people get their message out. And also maybe a like a small clothing brand where I can just experiment with different styles and you know catering to different audiences. Maybe a skateboard brand. Okay. That'd be pretty dope. Interesting thing
0: about you about um Skateboarding. So one of the people who I interviewed, I think probably the first person for the show that I interviewed that was like in and around the LA area. I think he's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, was Emery Douglas, who mm-hmm. was the former minister of culture for the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And I found out his information because I was like looking around. I was doing research for him and I found that there was this company that was doing skateboard decks of his work. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were mentioning that this was like licensed work or whatever. And I remember reaching out to them and just like on a whim, just reached out and asked if they knew him or if they could put me in contact with him. And I think the guy that was doing the skateboard decks was his grandson. Mm. And like put me in touch with him. And like, we ended up having the conversation on the show. It's, Episode 15, if people want to go listen to it. But yeah, no, that's a <laughs> that's an interesting uh coincidence there. Now, one thing I have to ask about, because you only because you mentioned in the bio is about the house plants. Mm-hmm. I I gotta ask about the house plants. You have 30 house plants.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: now 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 talk to me like I'm trying to get plant tips. I have like four plants. I'm yeah. I don't know if I necessarily want to get to like a jungle stage, but I certainly want to get better at. The plants that I have. So talk to me about the plants. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. So I I actually, there was a book from a guy named Hilton Carter that recently came out. Mm -hmm. And I'd say it was like a life changing book because this guy has a, a complete jungle in his home. And my family's from Belize. Where you know they they got jungle all over, so I'm like, what's the easiest way I can you know recapture that in my own home?" So I read his book, got a bunch of tips, and um I started doing the same thing to my home. Mm-hmm. I say you want to start off with a pathos, the grandma plant. Okay. All right. It's the, it's the easiest. Like you can put it in a low light situation, a highlight situation, and it's still going to thrive and you can like, let it dry out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, before you water it, put your finger in the dirt, just like an inch above. If it's dry, you water it. If it's not, you know, water it till it, till the water comes out the, the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I know like, uh, before I started with houseplants, like I would just kind of give it a trickle <laughs> and, and feel like that's enough. But now you got to water it till, till the water actually drains out of the pot. Uh-huh. I just feel like uh, since I work at home, just having a bunch of houseplants around, they, they've helped me become like, I feel like I'm working less and playing around more, hmm. you know, like it doesn't feel like I'm working. It feels like I'm in a tree house. Nice. You know, so it, it feels like uh, it's had an effect on the work that i produce day to day so it, it kind of creates this this environment where you're like in nature and you know you just feel like you're not in an office yeah you know so so it helps a lot
0: i'm going to have to get another pothos i had one and <laughs> because i end up traveling a fair bit for work i know that i was going like weeks or so without watering it and I certainly have been watering it and, and you know, doing stuff to it. And I realized that one of the, what I thought was, like, one of the healthy leaves was just, I guess, like, somebody had just cut a leaf off mm-hmm. from a larger plant and just put it in the soil. Mm. And, like, I, I was thinking this thing had roots and was growing. I was like, no, it's just a leaf. Like, it hasn't, mm. it was just sitting, <laughs> it was just sitting in the dirt. Yeah. So, like, the plants that I have now are pretty low maintenance, but I do want something that's i don't want to say showier but something bigger i guess i have a um a ZZ plant
1: oh yeah, I've yeah got a, sure. i have got a
0: snake plant oh yeah which, which i bought at ikea like two years ago i'm surprised it's still still thriving and i have two orchids but they're not flowering like they were when i bought them and now they're not they're just leaves now i guess mm-hmm. but i've been thinking of getting some more stuff i had succulents for a while because that was like the end thing and they all died <laughs> I, I have i have a friend who actually he he sells plants and stuff on etsy and he was he tells me all the time like you know people get succulents because it's like trendy but they're just not good house plants and he was saying the same thing about the big um what do you call the big the fiddle leaf fig those, oh those nice. big plants you yeah, know like good. Like, I've
1: had a fig for the past four or five years and it's struggling.
0: Yeah. He's like, they, like because they're trees, like they need a lot of water. They need a lot of soil. Like they have to like branch out in that way. Yeah. Um, and like, it doesn't really do super well as a house plant. Like you have to get, mm-hmm. there's like certain plants that just do well in the house and others don't. I actually have something and I got this from work. It's not a plant. It's, um, I forget what she called it. It has a name. I think it's called like a, a Marimo or something. It's a Japanese ball of algae. Mm, I never heard of it. And it's, it's sitting in my desk. I'm hold, holding it up right now. It's in a jar of water and it basically just subsists there. It's like these, these balls of algae that are supposed to like sit on the, on like the lake floor in, in Japanese mm. lakes or something. Um, And, I'm glad that she she like sent them to us because she's like, they're impossible to kill. I'm like, great. Because I and sometimes I'll just forget about watering. And I know different plants have different watering schedules. And I gotta get better on my plant game, which sucks because I was in 4-H in high school. I should be better at this, but whatever. I need to I need to get some tips on the house plant. So thanks for yeah, you did.
1: <laughs> thanks for the, the the tips on that no that's that's good to know yeah there there's another one i have a majesty palm uh-huh and that that one is beautiful you you don't need a, a ton of light but if you put it near you know you know what an indirect window light is right yeah when you're when you're when it's not it's not like beating down on your plant mm-hmm. <laughs> the sun isn't beating down but if you Put it in a indirect facing window light. Yeah, then that one can thrive, and it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I need to get some more plants that are like that because the way that my apartment is situated, it's it's a um. So my apartment has these two large windows: one in the bedroom, one in the living room, mm-hmm. and it's very much a east facing apartment. So like, it gets a ton of sun in the morning.
2: Oh, okay.
0: I'd say maybe about like four o'clock or so. You know, as the sun's starting to set in the west, it'll. It'll die down, but it gets a lot in the morning. And so I try to make sure it's like in my living room. It's hard to not put a plant in the window because the entire like my entire living room is flooded with light in the morning. Mm. Same way with my bedrooms. So I need to try to find. A, I got to figure it out, man. I got to find the the right. right the right mix. So um, all right when you look back at your career, what do you wish you would have known when you first started?
1: Well I wish I would have known I would have I would have wished that I didn't have to know everything up front. Mm. Everybody's learning as they go like even even the top CEOs, even the best product managers, the press the the best designers, the best product managers, everybody's trying to learn something as they go. there isn't somebody who knows everything and I feel like for a lot of young designers who hit me up they feel like they have to just know everything up front you know before they they start their careers they have to know how to use sketch and how to design you, you know a, a whole application or you know that they, they got to learn about front end development and be the best front end developers before they even start but what i think people don't understand is that we're, we're all just trying to get better
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know everybody's learning something and the, if you show that you're passionate about something and interested, I think people are going to support you in that. So, but, but a lot of people don't know what they're passionate about. So, I just feel like if I knew up front, you know, it's okay not to know something. It's it's okay not to understand a business and just kind of um, you know, voice what you want for yourself and people will help you, then you'll be all right. And I feel like that's what I communicated to the, the intern that I work with at Fandango. Yeah. She's recently uh, graduated from USC and she struggled with that same thing because I feel like we all have some form of imposter syndrome. We all have that uh, and a, a lot of designers suffer from that. And I feel like even before you get started, you can feel intimidated because you're looking at other designer portfolios and you're like, yo, they're the greatest UI designers that I've ever seen. It's kind of like you going to the gym and if you want to get on the on the bench press machine and bench press 235 and you haven't even got to 100 yet <laughs> you know it's kind of like that same mentality you you think that you could just go out there and show out but you can't until you you know you start building day by day it's kind of like um, when when i was starting out one of my mentors he said that you lay a foundation brick by brick mm. and it's and you can look at life like you're building a house so each day you're laying down the foundation to to where you want to see the you, yourself and the vision for your life, so i I approach design the same way. I don't know everything about UI design. I don't know everything about UX design, but I'm learning every day and, and so are my team members yeah, so just for a young designer to know that you know if you're interested in becoming a UX designer, reach out to somebody and show them that you're interested, you know, maybe by doing a project, maybe by getting some coffee, but you you do not need to feel like you need to have all the education up front or have 5 years of experience like these job descriptions say.
0: Mm. What does success look like for you now?
1: Success? Now, I think success is is less about financial success and more about inner happiness because I feel like if you're internally happy, with the direction that your life is going, everything else it will appear as an exu- as a success to you. so uh, because I, I struggled a lot when my mom passed away and I feel like for a long time I was in survival mode
2: mm-hmm.
1: always needing a job, always needing to be stable financially. but I've learned you know through going to therapy for the past two years with my wife, I've learned that if you're internally happy, you you'll be happy in your relationships you'll be happy in the opportunities that come to you and you'll just thrive because people kind of see something within you that you see in yourself yeah you know so i feel like success now it it just means being at peace with where you're at in life cuz now i'm i'm going to be a father and i'm i'm thinking to myself have i have i built the life have i built a life that can support a child? Are they going to see things within me that help them become a better person? And hopefully they do. But I feel like, for me at least, having faith in myself, being um, close to my spirituality, and helping my my friends around me see greater in themselves, that's what real success to, to me is. I used to think growing up that you had to be famous to change, you know, a lot of lives. But I feel like if you can change the lives of people in your community and give them faith that they can make something better of themselves, then then I feel like that's the ultimate success.
0: Well, Jeremy, you know, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: They can always hit me up on LinkedIn. Just look up Jeremy Doodoo. There are not many of <laughs> us. Uh, <laughs> You can look up my website, JeremyDudu.com, and I'm on Instagram at JeremyDudu.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, Jeremy Dudu, I want to thank you. I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit before recording, and you were asking, like, well, what does the audience, like, want to hear? And I was like, they want to hear about, like, the journey. And there was something you said early in the interview. You said it's the journey that makes it fun. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with what you certainly illustrated in terms of, like the experiences in your personal life, in your work life, uh, this, the strong drive that you have for community activism and mentorship and giving back. I feel like that's what you've done. Like you've helped make your journey fun. And I'm really excited to just see kind of what is going to come up next for you in life, man. I really mean that. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Thank you for having me, Maurice. You know, I, I do feel like I don't have all the answers, but I'm always trying to learn and, and contribute to the community.
0: Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Jeremy Dudu and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Jeremy and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Deanna Testa and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you liked this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute or so to do, but it really, really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.